Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Losses on the field, wins off the field, and the coronavirus hits close to home for the Michigan State basketball program. Lots of stuff happening on the banks of the Red Cedar these days. We'll elaborate on episode 10 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast, coming at you on Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I'm Brandon Champion, joined by Michigan State Bee reporters Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel. And guys, I want to jump right in because there's a lot to get to today. Uh, we'll get to some of the, the off-field news in a bit. We'll also look ahead to Michigan State football's game against surging Indiana on Saturday. Uh, But first, let's look back briefly to the Spartans' loss at Iowa last Saturday. Obviously, a disappointing result for a team uh, coming off a massive win at Michigan. Mel Tucker called the performance, quote, totally unacceptable. Uh, And he's right. This was a game that was never close. Michigan State was pushed around from the opening drive. It was 35-0 at halftime. Rocky Lombardi threw three interceptions. The Spartans gave up a touchdown on special teams. Rocky threw a pick six. Just just not a good day for Michigan State. And uh, just, Matt, I mean, you were there in Iowa City. You, you just told me you drove there. So uh, interesting weekend for you. But what were some of your general thoughts on the game? It was a beautiful day and morning in Iowa City for an 11 o'clock kickoff. After that, you know, it was pretty ugly all the way around. I mean, they got... I would thoroughly outplayed them in all three phases of the game. And, you know, to be honest, when you look back on it, there were a lot more positives for Michigan State to take out of the, the loss to Rutgers to start the season than there were on Saturday. And Mel said as much yesterday on Tuesday when we talked to him and he flat out said, you know, they after the game, they, you know, go through all three phases, talk to their coaches, try to figure out who played well. And they really had a hard time finding anybody who played at a high level. And I think anybody who watched that game would, would probably uh, agree. I mean, there was – I don't know what you really take out of that, that, that you build on for next week. Um, other than it didn't end up being uh, 70 to nothing. Is this one of those situations when you take the game film? I mean, I, I know you wrote a story, Mel Tucker watched it back and he wasn't happy. I mean, I didn't think we thought it could get worse than the Rutgers game with the seven turnovers, but it really did because you didn't have seven turnovers in this game and it, it looked even worse. I mean, Iowa, we talked about, maybe they were a little bit, uh, you know, their 0-2 record was a little bit deceptive, but uh, is this a case where you just have to take the game film and burn it and move on, or is Mel sort of looking at this like, no, I mean, we need to hammer this home that this can't happen and this isn't acceptable? Well, he didn't give the burn the tape line, but, you know, he said that they had to, you know, when we talked to him after the game Saturday, he was getting ready to get excited, (laughs) animated, I should say, about, um, you know, getting the film and starting to watch it on the bus heading back and, and on the uh, flight home. And, um, you know, he said that they addressed it, made their corrections. And, you know, some of the things he talked about, you know, there was uh, the after Michigan State scored on that opening drive of the third quarter, Iowa's first play, you know, they rip off a, a 71-yard run or whatever it was. And he talked about how that is a zone run that everybody runs in football. They practice against it, you know, countless times it was a play run earlier in the game and then just a blown assignment and there were other you know you know misses too and 
And I mean, I think you have to learn from it, obviously, and address these errors when you say if you practice against making the switch 10 times and then you just don't do it. Well, yeah, you're going to have to look at that. But overall, um, and especially with the new defense, I think that kind of fits into it um, where you got to where these guys are still learning on the fly. You you address it. But um, if they were going to watch cut ups of highlights, it would be a very short film. Yeah, I, I, Mel Tucker's demeanor stood out to me, but both immediately after the game and then on Tuesday when we talked to him. Uh, you know, he's, we wrote a story about it actually last week. You know, he's this, you know, neutral thinking guy, very even keeled, uh, wasn't super upset after Rutgers, even though they lost to Rutgers, wasn't super excited, at least to us, after they beat Michigan. Um, and it kind of really been this, this even keeled guy through the whole thing, but he was pretty visibly upset. Uh, I mean, pretty much kind of, pounding the table style uh, was clearly not happy with the, um, the effort level uh, with the execution. Um, and that was a big change for me. And I don't know what that means going forward, if that's going to elicit a response. Um, but he was pretty upset with his team uh, the way we hadn't seen him. And it kind of, as we get to know this guy a little bit more uh, that, that was interesting to me um, because we, we really, I think saw some fire for the first time. And I think it really, really bothered him how, how they played uh, more so than any, definitely more so than Rutgers. He, Mel was just straight up pissed off after the game, and that was very obvious. <laughs> like Kyle said, that was a change in demeanor. Very clear on Saturday, and, and it carried over on Tuesday. Well, what has Mel talked about? He's talked about wanting to do things the right way. He's talked about wanting to have a physical football team. He's talked about not wanting to kill themselves and, and mental mistakes. I mean, when you have a team, Iowa, you know, they 226 rushing yards to just 59 for Michigan State, Iowa – gained the ball, you know, gained yardage at five and a half yards per rush, total yards, 405 to 286. Rocky threw the three interceptions, at least two of them that were really bad. It looked like maybe there was another miscommunication with Naylor on the other one, but it's, it's just not the the brand of football that Mel Tucker wants to see and wants his team to play and coming off a big win to basically look like you weren't ready and to get steamrolled right from the opening jump is just, it's, it's not a good look, especially when Iowa, that first drive of the game, right from the jump. I mean, what do they have like four or five chunk plays right off the bat? They're running it right down their throat. I mean, good. Tyler Goodson had, you know, just 14 carries, but 113 yards, two touchdowns. He's averaging over eight a clip. You had Charlie Jones on those end arounds. And that comes down to just assignment football. I mean, it's easy to see why Mel was so disturbed by this performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said, you know, this is, you know, it comes down to getting the guys, you know, it's all cliche stuff at the most part. But yeah, I mean, these guys practice against this stuff and it's having them in the right position to make the plays. And he said, if, you know, they look back at it and a guy isn't in position, then that's, you know, coaching or, you know, a mistake on their part. And if they are in position to make the play and they simply can't make the play, well, then they got to look and I see, do we got anybody else that's capable of what you're going to put in there to make that play? So um, it's just an ugly all around performance. I don't know if you can say it was a, you know, a hangover from the win against Michigan, but uh, it was just, you know, it was one-sided. Rocky Lombardi, 17 for 37, 227 yards, three touchdowns. It's a QBR of 15 and a half. Uh, the, the Twitter, the Twitter sphere was, was clamoring for someone else to get in there. I mean, they, they wanted it so bad. We did see Peyton Thorne for the one pass, but were you surprised we didn't see a second quarterback get in this game? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, as far as not getting in earlier, but I think this is also part of, I don't think, you know, when you're down by that much, you know, you're, you're not coming back. And I think that, that Mel wants to, you know, keep Rocky's confidence up and let him, I mean, it's clear he 
showed the first two games he's the guy they believe in. Um, and fans need to, you know, this is the same guy that threw for 323 yards and three touchdowns and looked outstanding at Michigan uh, the week before. So the quarterback will always take uh, the brunt of the criticism and, and sometimes get more credit for, uh, you know, success than, than, than they should. But um, I, I, when you look at the way it worked in 18, I mean, that quarterback situation was mismanaged with, with Brian playing hurt. And then they give Rocky a little bit of a look and then they're playing two guys and it seemed like it ruined both their ruined the confidence for both of them. So mm-hmm. um, I think, I think that they wanted to keep him in there, make it clear, you know, this is his job and then throw Peyton in at the, you know, late. Um, but, and as far as, you know, there was speculation that, that Rocky was playing hurt. And I think it was the the pick that got returned for the touchdown or he escaped a little pressure and he, and it looked like he went to, plant off his left leg and it kind of gave out under him i mean i don't know if if he was hurt or not i asked him that after the game and he downplayed it said everybody's hurt and that's not really something we can talk about there's something to that effect so i don't know i mean i it, he just had a bad game you know and he said he thought he pressed a little too much being a homecoming game being from iowa but um obviously not a good performance and and he recognized it speaking of everyone being hurt uh antoine simmons uh we learned in this game he wasn't uh, up to full health, he was in and out of the of the defensive lineup. I think on Iowa's first touchdown, he wasn't in the game. Uh, did we we got a little bit of word and a little bit of clarity of, of what's going on with the leader of the Michigan State defense after the game? Uh, sort of, not really. <laughs> Again, Mel's not one to talk much about injuries. Guys are banged up. Uh, is is going to be his his go to line? It seems like. Um, but with Antoine, he had said, you know, when he was out there. He gave us everything he could, and when he wasn't out there, it meant you know he he wasn't able to go. So I don't know how you read that as being anything but an injury, I, I guess. And Antoine um, didn't really get into it. So, um, but you know, it's clear when when it's your lead when your leader of the defense is not on the field, especially a week after playing, you know, being a you know a, a great performance against Michigan, when he's not on the field for large chunks of time. It's clear, you know, he's hurt. How hurt he is, I don't know. We'll we'll find out this week if he's able to go and if he's able to go uh, uh, full. That was a weird one for me, though, if he's injured, because he plays for a while, then sits, then comes back, and then sits again without, you know, very obviously favoring anything. You know, usually it's like a guy, you know, plays until he can't play anymore, and then he's done. Uh, but the in and out, I don't know. I don't know what you made of that. I couldn't really make much sense of that, though. Yeah, and there was a, you know, it was, I don't remember, was it the first quarter? I think it was the second quarter when it became clear he was not on the field for large chunks of time. You know, I'm sitting there with the binoculars in the press box looking, and he's, just, you know, he's standing there on the side with the helmet on. And there was one point, I think it was during a timeout or something. And, you know, he was standing there talking to Mel, and Mel was talking to him and looked like he was encouraging him. And I, so, I mean, I don't know. Again, it's a mystery, but um, clearly something there that uh, is not good for their defense. You have to think the score had something to do with it after a while. I mean, if he's if he's banged no, up, they're but, just like, whatever, why put him in? No, but he came in late. It was on Iowa's last drive, I think, in the fourth quarter that Antoine was back oh. out there. So that made it even more weird. It's like, well, then why are you even putting him out on the field? Just keep Chase Klein out there. And So, I, yeah, the whole thing was bizarre to me. There was a fourth quarter of this game? I thought it ended at halftime. I just, I was like, no, I'm no. done with this. There was definitely a fourth quarter of that game. It was, uh, it took forever. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Not much else to say about this. I mean, just, just a good old fashioned butt kicking. I mean, Iowa just took it to Michigan state right from the jump. Clearly they did not want to fall to zero and three and Michigan state will have to rebound. It's a, 
Looks like it's going to be a topsy-turvy season for the Spartans. Maybe they'll just be this chaos team. Who knows? I mean, we'll find out more this weekend when they take on Indiana. We'll get there in a bit. Uh, let's move to something a little more, uh, you know, uh, uplifting as far as Michigan State's concerned. We got recruiting news on both the football and basketball fronts. Um, three recruits uh, committed verbally this week for the Michigan State football team. Some good news for Mel Tucker. Most notably, uh, in-state lineman uh, Rayshon Benny from Oak Park. Uh, he's a four-star kid uh, based on the 247 composite, 188th player in the country. Um, so big time get here in, a, in an in-state recruit. Uh, have to imagine Mel Tucker's pretty excited about that, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he instantly becomes the the top, the highest ranked guy in their class according to 24/7 composite. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy who's he plays on the line both ways, but projects uh, defensively, obviously at the next level. Um, big guy, looks like you know, got good length to him. Um, and, and by all indications, it seems like he can be a you know a an, it, it make an impact early for Michigan State. Um, and you know, it's also significant because this is like you said, an in-state guy a guy that Michigan was, was also pursuing. So uh, anytime you can pull a four-star kid from in the Detroit area and, and also keep him away from a rival program um, and also Penn state was in his top four, that's, it's obviously a big gift for Michigan state. And then uh, they added another one that day, Brandon Baldwin, who was a uh, offensive tackle from independence community college in Kansas. He's a Southfield native. Um, he's been there for well, B2 seasons, although he, he was on the scout team apparently last year and they, um, they don't have a fall season this year because of COVID. Um, and then uh, yesterday they picked up a commitment from uh, Stefan Johnson. He's a cornerback at Venice High School in Florida. His his teammates with a uh, with Charles Brantley, who is also a cornerback that is committed to Michigan State. So kind of a unique situation where uh, two of the five defensive backs they have committed to their class right now uh, come from the same high school, and he plays quarterback too there. So he he's kind of more of an athlete kid. It seems like that that. He's going to have to learn the position. Um, that, that's at least my projection from what I've seen of him. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, there's some talent. And, and again, anytime <laughs> you can pull in recruits in this, you know, weird cycle without bringing, being able to bring guys on campus, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. Yeah, Stefan Johnson, we didn't know it was coming, you know, now, but, you know, when he decommitted from Rutgers, it seemed pretty clear, you know, considering Branley was at Michigan State, um, that, you know, he intended to decommit and come to Michigan State. And then it's interesting to note for me in terms of this recruiting class for 2021, um, that's the, and I don't know how common this is because I haven't followed, you know, uh, football recruiting near as much as basketball, but it's, it seems like teammates from these high schools are wanting to come to Michigan state together. You've got uh, the three kids from St. Joseph regional in New Jersey with, with Gino and Audrick Eston. And uh, um, who's the lineman I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, you're, you're thinking of Kevin Wigginson. He's goes to a different school. He goes, to oh, one. So, but you okay. do have the two teammates at St. Joe's and then the third Jersey kid um, in Wigginson oh. and then Oak park, obviously with Benny and running back uh, Davion Prim, who was the first to commit to Michigan state's 2021 class. And there was also the chatter, you know, that, you know, uh, Andrew Anthony was putting out cryptic stuff yeah. on Twitter. Not, no, nothing official on that front yet, but of course he's teammates with uh, Ethan Boyd, the lineman. So it uh, looks like a lot of teammates wanting to team up in East Lansing. I'd be down for all that for sure. Bring bring your whole team. Let's go. Um, anyways, so at least some good news for Michigan State on the, uh, on the football recruiting front. Uh, that recruiting class continues to take shape. 247 has a ranked 42nd nationally, 10th in the Big Ten. 
Um, but, you know, there's some other guys out there as well. Maybe Mel Tucker can continue to uh, increase recruiting. And if he could do it in-state, if he could get that in-state machine rolling again, that would be huge because that's an area where D'Antonio really fell off uh, towards the tail end of his tenure at Michigan State. Uh, we also got news from the – let's shift to basketball real quick. Yes, basketball is fast approaching. A couple weeks away, the basketball season will come. And, Kyle, you've been too quiet. We've got to get you – we've got to get you in here. Um, so uh, all three of Michigan State's recruits in their top ten national class signed today, Max Christie um, outside Chicago and Rolling Meadows. He's a five-star kid, uh, ranked as the number one shooting guard in the country by many. Jade Nakins, uh, Ipsy Pratt point guard. He's a four-star kid. And Pierre Brooks from Douglas Academy in Detroit, also four-star shooting guard. All three signed their national letter of intents today. All three ranked as top 70 recruits. So obviously a big day for the program and Tom Izzo, uh, right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, very big day. Um, uh, you know, uh, class rank number six, one of the better classes he's had. Uh, Max Christie, uh, number 15 player in the country. Um, he, I mean, as far as recruiting rankings go, he, he's up there um, with, with some of the top five best guys Izzo's ever had. So you got him, and then you got two kind of good, solid in-state guys, good, solid in-state top 100, top 50 kids to round it out. Um, and Aiken's a point guard, and then Brooks, um, who's another kind of wing guy. So you, you got... You got good shooting. You got good size. They've all got good size, is what I think Tom likes about them. Um, Aikens is uh, 6'3", 160. Uh, Christie and Brooks are both 6'6", um, up towards, I think, 180, 185 for both of them. So good size. I think they'll be able to play immediately. But I think what was important about today is if, if you followed basketball recruiting, um, and Brandon, I know at least you have, um, a lot of these big-name guys and, and some not even big-name guys like to wait until the spring to, to make their commitments and sign. Um, and that can put these programs in a really tough spot waiting that long to, to, to know where these guys are going. And if, if you don't end up getting them or if they surprise you and, and don't sign like you thought they would, uh, you don't have much time to, to fill a hole then. Um, and, and it's sometimes slim picking. So um, that, that's obviously happened to Michigan State a couple of times. You know, Josh Jackson um, delayed it for a while. Rocket Watts last year, it worked out, but he he, he, uh, uh, he kept them guessing for a little while. Famously um, sending Spartan Twitter into a yeah, whirlwind uh-huh. of despair yeah. and, and chaos uh, when Rocket Watts mm-hmm. didn't sign right away. <laughs> so you could, uh, you could sense the kind of relief today that um, these guys all three woke up and signed their letters. They were all in by, uh, by before. For lunchtime here and um that's good because you got a really solid three-player class and and everyone's going to wonder about if anybody else is going to join it uh Monty Bates obviously the number one guy regardless of class uh Enoch Boakye the the Canadian center who both talked about reclassifying they're both in the next class right now but have talked about coming up in this one so we'll see if that happens but it's not those guys aren't going to make or break this class they would be a cherry on top either one or both of them but no matter what happens right now, uh, barring something crazy happening, you've got a very solid three-person class coming in for Michigan State, and that's a good position to be in at this point of the year. Yeah, I mean, according to 247, Max Christie is the fourth highest-ranked recruit to ever come to Michigan State, um, behind only Shannon Brown from 2003, Jaron Jackson from 2017, and Miles Bridges from 2016. Uh, all three of those guys played in the NBA, so lots expected from Max Christie. And Michigan State put out those – uh, you know, the announcements when they signed and when they were officially part of the team. And Max Christie, you know, he gave like a two minute long interview. And I was just so impressed by 
what he was talking about, about how he wanted to get out in transition, how he wanted to get his other teammates involved. I mean, he didn't, sometimes you get these true freshmen who come in and they, they don't really know how to talk to the media. They're really soft-spoken. They clearly can play, but they don't have the, that confidence right away. Max Christie is striking me as a kid who is ready to play. I mean, he has, he knows the game. He clearly thinks the game. He might be a really good player for Michigan State. I mean, he's a really impressive kid on his face. Someone needs to tell him that he's like a five-star and he needs to be a little bit more standoffish and a jerk like a lot of those guys are. He's, he's way too normal and down-to-earth, you know? Like, you know, when he signed, he talked to everybody on the phone, which is great for people like us. Um, like you said, he gives very good quotes. Um, just seems like a very nice, normal kid, which, I mean, obviously mo- most kids are. But I'm, I'm joking around a little bit about the high media. But he, he really doesn't seem to have too much of an ego, uh, which is um, which I think is good. And And... and Tom, they're really into now, I think more so than they, than in the past that, you know, the, the, the term in the program is OKG, our kind of guy. And I, I think they've really placed a lot more emphasis than they used to on character. Not that they've had a lot of bad eggs coming through, but they've had a couple. Um, and I think they've really seen the value and not only having guys that are, you know, athletic and can play good basketball well, but I think they've seen a lot of value in high character. And I think that's what you've seen in Max Christie and the other guys too, Jade Nakins and, and Pierre Brooks. Um, Pierre Brooks really first guy kind of got that class together. Coach's son, I think they see a lot of that in him too, um, and Jade Nakins. But um, I, I mean, that, that's that's kind of I think where Thomas was going at this point in his career. Is he, he's had he's seen what they can do for chemistry. He's seen what um, what guys who who are everything that you just described of Max Christie can do. Uh, all the intangibles they can bring. I think that's very important. Tom Izzo and his staff at this point in his career, and I think that's what they have in Max Christie. We're still waiting for a Michigan State basketball schedule. Hopefully we get one either maybe t- tomorrow or Friday. I mean, we're seeing a lot of schedules come out. We do know they're going to play at Virginia in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Looks like they're going to play a road game at Duke in lieu of the Champions Classic. Um, and we also know uh, Notre Dame will be their first game at the Breslin Center to open the year. Uh, we don't know much else at this point, right, Kyle? No, but um, I, I think those are the you're kind of building blocks of the schedule. Those are the three marquee games. Uh, I think everything else we find out as far as non-conference uh, later this week uh, is going to be uh, your mid-major games at home. Um, I, they might be able to sneak in a game before that, um, that Notre Dame game uh, on the 25th. Um, so we'll see about that, but it's going to be three or four games uh, against mid-majors. I think they're all going to be regional uh, I think Oakland's going to be one of them. Tom's kind of hinted at that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two directionals, uh, Eastern or Western, get on the schedule. Uh, so it's going to be nothing. There's nothing more exciting out there. The three that you mentioned, Notre Dame, uh, Duke, and Virginia, those are the three marquee games they're going to have. And then they're going to have kind of tune-up games for the rest of it. So we don't have it yet. We don't have the dates, but I don't think um, I don't think it's going to be anything too exciting. I think it's going to be who, you know, which teams and, and when they play them. And then obviously we'll move on to Indiana here in a second, but uh, Tom Izzo uh, was diagnosed with COVID-19 positive test. He's been working from home um, lately and Dwayne Stevens has been overseeing things at practice, but Kyle, you've talked to Tom twice um, since then. Uh, He seems to be in good spirits just from the outside, but uh, how's he handling all this? Uh, he's pretty bored. Always <laughs> the biggest thing. Um, he, he is, uh, uh, as you, anybody who's uh, followed his career would know, he's not really fit for quarantine. Uh, I think he's uh, champing at the bit to get out of there. But I mean, the good news obviously is that um, 
he's in good health. He's had minor symptoms um, every day. He told us today, or recording on Wednesday, early afternoon, I should say, he told us an hour or two ago that he um, he's lost a little bit of taste. Um, I think he's had a little bit of a cough this whole time, uh, a little bit of soreness, but um, overall seems in very good spirits and, um, and and I think everybody's hopeful that, that that'll continue. But um, it's still, you know, despite all that, that's still a pretty surprising thing. I mean, obviously he has been very out front and very vocal um, about uh, the social distancing, about the mask wearing. You know, he's gone to Gretchen Whitmer's press conferences and talked about it. Uh, he's filmed PSAs. And um, for a guy like that who really was outspoken and really tried to use his status as a public figure to to talk about uh, these issues, to have him get it, I think was pretty surprising. Certainly it was surprising for him. He says he has no idea how he got it. He doesn't think he let his guard down at all. Um, and and it's, um, I think it's just kind of a reminder, you know, they're going to play this season and um, we've seen it happen in football. I think half the SEC's canceled this week. Um, th- this stuff can just pop up and it's not, I don't think it, I think certainly it's because sometimes, you know, you weren't doing the right things, but sometimes I think it just happens. Um, and I think it's a reminder. I mean, Michigan state is going to be fine. I mean, Dwayne Stevens going to run practices for a week. I don't think it's going to set them back at all, but I, I my bigger takeaway is just for the season is this, um, uh, the, these cases are going to keep popping up despite everyone's best intentions. And, and I don't know how the season is going to go. And I think this is just a reminder of the uncertainty uh, of the situation that we're in right now. You guys mind me uh, chime in real quick. Uh, this is Wednesday afternoon and Maryland just announced the football team will pause all team related activities due to an elevated number of COVID cases. Uh, game against Ohio State has been canceled. That is obviously notable um, because Michigan State is supposed to play at Maryland next week. So uh, now we have a there's a clear scare for the schedule going forward. Fantastic. Just wonderful. <laughs> this, is, this is great. This is so much fun. Well, well, we'll keep charging ahead. I mean, obviously, information breaking every second these days um, on the Twitter and elsewhere. So, um, you know, Tom, is, I saw he's, he's pumped to, to watch uh, Jade Nakins and Imani Bates play on national TV tomorrow night um, as Ipsy Prep opens up. I think they're on ESPN or ESPN2. Um, so that, that'll be interesting. I'm sure Tom will be tuning in for that. And obviously, uh, all three of us wish our best to uh, Tom Izzo and a speedy recovery. Uh, well, let's move on to a game that as of right now is still meant to be playing. Back to football here. We're going <laughs> to preview the Indiana game. Indiana comes in at 3-0. and Michigan State is 1-2. and The game is at noon on ABC. Indiana's 3-0 and in the Big Ten for the first time since 1988. Uh, big wins over Penn State and Michigan at home, and they also beat Rutgers on the road. Indiana's a 7.5-point favorite. The over-under is 52. Michigan State won the last meeting last year, 40-30. to the Spartans also lead the all-time series 48-16-2. Tom Allen is in his fourth year as the head coach at Indiana. He's 21-20. and 20. Um, So Indiana, I mean, it's a team we talked about behind Michael Pinnock, their quarterback. It's a team we talked about early in the, in the offseason about maybe one that could emerge. And early on so far this year, that's happened, uh, Matt. I mean, what's impressed you so far about the Hoosiers? I mean, just, I mean, a lot of it is what I expected coming into the season. I'm not going to say I picked them to beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, but I thought, I thought Indiana was, I liked what I saw from them last year, um, especially when they came to East Lansing. I thought Penix was really good. Um, you got to remember, you know, he had the, the shoulder injury um, and that, you know, affected their season. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, with, with Stevie Scott, uh, you know, the running back, uh, and then Wapa. Healer. I can never remember how to pronounce that. Um, he was a big problem for Michigan State. Fillier, yeah. Well, he was a big problem for Michigan State last year. He had 
140 yards, got 40 receiving yards, a couple touchdowns. Uh, Penix completed 20 straight passes at one point last year in East Lansing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like what they're, I like what I've seen from them. Um, and, and obviously, Tom Allen's a likable coach. His guys seem to love him. I think you've seen some of those videos on Twitter, them getting carried around the locker room. So, yeah, I mean, they're a team that's, you know, doing something they haven't done in a very long time. And that's a challenge for Michigan State uh, to try and slow their momentum, especially coming off uh, the ugliness that was last weekend. Yeah, I mean, Michael Pinnock so far this year, uh, 66 for 112, 750 yards, uh, seven touchdowns, and just one interception. Um, he's uh, also run the ball somewhat, although those run stats are always somewhat disfigured because of the, the sacks counting for yards. I don't know why college football does that. But what's impressed me about Indiana watching their game last week against Michigan in particular They've shown that they can beat you in different ways. I mean, Penix is, is doing it through the air with Wap Fillier and, and Ty Freifogel. Um, Peyton Hendershot's also a weapon at the tight end um, with three tight, three touchdowns so far this year. And then Stevie Scott, who, you know, when Indiana was a little bit down, he was kind of their bread and butter, you know, as an underclassman running the ball pretty effectively. Um, but now he's working as more of a complement to this passing game that Indiana has. Watching the game last week, Michigan State against Iowa, I would I'm concerned <laughs> going into this game. I mean, I just said that maybe Indiana wants to do it through the air more than on the ground, but if I'm Indiana and I'm watching that game versus Michigan State last week and seeing Iowa just do whatever they want at the point of the attack on the offensive line, I'd be trying to scheme ways to get Stevie Scott involved. Yeah, and we, we saw that last week with Michigan State struggling with some of those passes out of the backfield, um, both the assignment and you had some missed tackles there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think I don't think it'd be a stretch to say this is, would be the best offensive team that they've they've faced so far. I mean, I think with with what they've got at the skill positions, um, I think Penix is probably is going to be probably the, the, the top quarterback you face so far. So. And given what happened last week, yeah, I think there, there, there would definitely be reason for concerns on how they're going to be able to to match up against this team. And, and you know, remember, this is a defense that lost seven starters from, from last season, and you're without other guys that you would have counted on. I mean, Chris Jackson was your starting corner. Uh, the first two games, he, wasn't, he didn't travel uh, to Iowa. He was one of the banged-up guys, according to Mel. So that forces a change, and Shakur Brown moves from nickel to corner. Julian Barnett makes his first start at, at nickel. And they were rotating heavily um, at the nickel spot. And in the defense, we saw Angelo Gross, playing, the true freshman, playing, uh, I believe, for the first time on defense. Michael Dowell got in there at the nickel spot. But, you know, really, uh, you know, yeah, a challenge for a young defense, I would say. That's uh, very accurate. The, the biggest thing that surprised me about the Michigan game, uh, and Matt, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I don't know why Michigan didn't test Michigan State on the perimeter um, and sideline to sideline. Uh, because that, that to me seemed like a pure, I don't want to say weakness, but a place that um, where it made sense to test them because I'm not sure they had the athletes. And um, Iowa certainly proved that they had the athletes to beat Michigan State on that portion of the field. I think Michigan did too. I don't know why they didn't do it. And I think the bad news for Michigan State is I think Indiana has shown that they certainly do too. So I, I think you look at, um, especially early in that game, how Iowa really stretched the field um, and forced Michigan State to play in space out there. Um, and just took advantage of some athletic um, advantages. Um, I, I think that was kind of the book on Michigan State. We'll see if they can have some adjustments to help that out. But um, I think from what we've seen in Indiana, they certainly have the ability uh, to do something similar. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Michigan State's got a lot of youth at, the, at those spots when you got, you know, Kalen Gervin and if he's healthy, Chris Jackson is your starting corners. Um, and then if, if they have to go deeper, you know, if you move Shakur over, then you get Julian Barnett at the nickel spot. And, you know, he's a really talented kid, but, you know, he's played wide receiver last season and is still learning these these roles on defense. So uh, Xavier Henderson is, is your experienced guy really back there at, at the safety spot. Um, and then Shakur's your most experienced guy you know, in the other, whether it's corner or nickel, but um, yeah, there's, there's some guys that they can push and, and Kalen Gervin gave up, a, uh, well, he was the one passing touchdown they, they gave up last week that he was in coverage. Let's jump to predictions here as we're running along big show today. So um, Matt, you lead seven, you have seven, Kyle, you have six, I have five uh, going in through, through three games so far this year. Um, so uh, quick predictions here, <clears throat> excuse me, let's go quick. Um, will we see two quarterbacks, Matt? No. I say yes. Uh, I'll just make it short. Uh, I will say yes. I will say yes. Over under four total touchdowns for Michael Penix. Uh, you go first, Kyle. Under. Under. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say under too. I think, like I said, Stevie Scott, he could have some, <laughs> some, some work in the red zone. Who's the leading receiver for Michigan State? We've had three different guys in three different games. Uh, this week it was last week it was Jalen Naylor had four for one nineteen. Ricky White obviously against Michigan. Jaden Reed was the guy against Rutgers. So uh, take your pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Jaden Reed. I'm doubling down or tripling down. I guess <laughs> I'll go with Jalen Naylor. I think uh, he's been the most consistent guy, although he's had some drops. But uh, game to game. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to go with Jaden Reed too. I think he's just too talented to to, to have too many down games here. Kyle, will Mark D'Antonio be in attendance? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, he, uh, I think he, uh, I, I've talked about superstition, I feel like, a lot on the pod. And if, if he if he induced a loss to Rutgers, I think he'll stay away this time. <laughs> Matt? Uh, no, Mark won't be there. I don't think he will either. Um, and then score, uh, I don't know really what to think about Michigan State. I'm going to say 34-14 Indiana. Or sorry, 35-14 Indiana. I had 34-24 is the pick I sent earlier today. I had to double check that for a second. I'm going to pick it closer at 21-17 Indiana. I, I think it's hard to transition to being kind of a favorite and a team that really has to show up every single week and have a good game. And I think Indiana's going to have a letdown at some point. I'm not saying that's enough for them to lose. But I'm not, say, I'm not sure we're going to see Indiana playing quite the level we have the last few weeks. It should be interesting. Indiana is certainly in a position that they haven't been in a long time, and that's front runners, uh, or at least tied for it, in the Big Ten East division. They appear to be a factor uh, in this strange COVID season. Michigan State, on the other hand, has been up and down, topsy-turvy, week to week. We're not sure what we're going to get. We'll find out if they can rebound from a rough performance at Iowa this Saturday. It's at noon on ABC from Spartan Stadium. Uh, Matt will be there. Kyle, you covering the game this week? Uh, I will be there. Yes. Awesome. Well, have a good good day, boys. Hopefully the weather, I'm not sure what it's looking like on the field, but uh, Michigan State maybe would want some crosswinds, some sleet. Who knows? They like to order that stuff up. But uh, it should be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, we will all do so, as always, because that's what we do here at MLS Spartan Confidential Podcast. But until next time, thanks for listening, and go green.